Welcome to Wizard in a Book, the podcast about the Dresden Files. I'm your host, S.T. Harker. Today we're talking about Chapter 2 of Stormfront. Our plot starts out with Karen Murphy meeting Dresden outside the Madison Hotel. They ride up and he gets off the elevator and they suddenly smell blood. Something has died. Karen Murphy walks in to prepare the scene for him. Dresden finds some panties on the floor and meets Detective Ron Carmichael. He walks into the crime scene and sees Jennifer Stanton and Tommy Tom with their chest blown open in the middle of sex with her on top of him. There's a good description of Dresden keeping calm and taking notes while freaking out. He says that the, he thinks a woman did it and he knew the victims through thaumaturgy to kill them. Stanton's hair was recently groomed and they were killed during sex and it used a lot of hate and women are better than that than men. After sending Carmichael out for coffee, Murphy talks to Dresden that Stanton works for the vampirist Bianca of the Velvet Room, a brothel, and sometimes has territorial disputes with gentleman Johnny Marcone, who Tommy Tom was a bodyguard for, a well-known gangster in the crime syndicate of Chicago. Murphy makes Dresden promise to work on how the murder happened, even though he secretly knows that Dabble in that dark magic might get him killed by the White Council. Dresden runs to meet his appointment with Monica, but is stopped by Hendrix and gentleman Johnny Marcone. And that's where our chapter ends. We'll get into the characters. Dresden is actually described here. When he runs into Murphy, they're both given a description. Dresden is described as tall and lean with dark hair, dark eyes. He has lean and angular features with a hawkish nose and a sharp chin. And he's wearing a black duster coat straight out of the El Dorado. He's old-fashioned when it comes to women. Him and Murphy kind of spar a little bit and he races to open the door. And he likes to pay for dinner and falls for ladies in distress, which Murphy sort of plays with at the end. He says he develops an instinctual grasp for moods and thoughts of people he's been around for a while. Doesn't know if that's supernatural or mundane. He's got a few abilities like that that we'll learn later on. He's listed as a psychic consultant for the Chicago Police Department and has a little laminated card they gave him. And his work with the police department pays most of his bills. When he walks in, we get a little bit more of that technology thing that messes with you know, technology and stuff as the CD player fries out when he turns it on. He charges $50 an hour for his services, which explains how he gets most of that, and he can keep calm under pressure and is methodical in his thinking. When he goes along, he kind of does a Sherlock scan sort of thing. He's affected by death and destruction, particularly when magic is used, and has somewhat of a dark past that we don't quite know yet. Lieutenant Murphy, this is her first... On-screen appearance. We heard her in a last episode on a cell or phone call, but here we get her in the flesh. Her description, she is short and stocky, about six inches shorter than Carmichael, who is a little bit shorter than Dresden. So Dresden's the tallest, Carmichael's the next. Lieutenant Murphy is the shortest. She has shoulder-length Shirley Temple blonde hair and blue eyes. She has round and smooth features with a cheerleader-type nose. She's muscular in a compact ways and apparently is very... Athletic, she has several, several trophies of Aikido. She wears a pantsuit. Uh, Dresden's never seen her in a dress. She wears no real jewelry, earrings, or anything, and wears little makeup. She's a homicide detective. She knows enough about the supernatural not to look Dresden in the face. Apparently they've never done the weird soul, the eye thing. But that's a thing. I'm not sure we've talked about that on this podcast yet. But we definitely will. We'll get into it definitely next episode. She dislikes Dresden holding the door for her. She's a woman in a man's world sort of thing, so she's had to fight to get up there. So when Dresden does his chauvinist bullshit, 
She calls him on it. But she supports Dresden and his mystical knowledge, even though people think she's a little crazy for it. They, like, wiggle their ears or wiggle their hand by their head when when she comes by. We don't know why yet, though. And I guess we'll get to that when we get to the short stories way later. But she has reasons for believing in the mystical, outside of just working for the special investigations on weird stuff. Which is funny, because her partner, Detective Ron Carmichael, who we have not heard of yet, who we get introduced here, as I've done on most of this, I've said names are important in the Dresden Files, so broke down Ron Carmichael. In Hebrew, the name Ron means song. In English, Scottish, and Gaelic, the short form, Ronald, it's the short form of Ronald, which means rules with counsel, or from the Scandinavian, Ragvalder, reign with power. Ronald Reagan was the most famous person called Ron or Ronald. Carmichael comes from the Scottish Gaelic Friend of St. Michael, the Scottish surname of Car or Fort and Michael, which means who is like God, from the English town of Carmichael. So that's his name. This is his first appearance, again, in the flesh. We get his description. He's sloppily dressed with a jacket rumpled and his tie has food stains on it. He has a light nasal voice. He is short, overweight, and balding, which if he's short by Dresden standard and Murphy's must be way shorter than him. He has little beady bloodshot eyes and a weak chin. He's Murphy's partner, like I said, at these special investigations. Yet he's pretty antagonistic against Dresden and is a disbeliever, although he like mocks Dresden, but he doesn't look Dresden in the eye. So there's something there. He's seen enough weird stuff to know that there's something weird and Dresden's been good enough on his consulting to warrant some type of, he has some belief in this hooey, but still will mock Dresden for it. And, but Dresden thinks he's a great cop. He knows he's got a good analytical mind. So who do we know? So now let's get into Jennifer Stanton. The two people murdered. She was the woman on top. Again, the name Jennifer comes from a Cornish form of Guinevere means white enchantress or the fair one. Stanton is the Anglo-Saxon tribes meaning stone or settlement, with stan meaning stone and tan meaning an enclosure or settlement because of the stony land where tribes of Anglo-Saxons settled. So I guess her name means the fair one of stony land, something like that. She's beautiful, even when death. In her 20s, chestnut brown hair, cut pageboy style, dyed. She has greenish eyes. She wore a black dress and pumps before she stripped down to have sex and get murdered. She was an employee for Bianca of the Velvet Room, and that makes her pretty much a prostitute or an escort if you're looking for that way. A sex worker. I don't want to denigrate anybody. The other person murdered was Tommy Tom. The name Tommy is a variation of Thomas. It comes from the Greek form Aramaic meaning twin. One of the apostles who doubted Jesus' resurrection was named the Doubting Thomas. And I just think Tommy Tom is a play on the name Tom for, or Tom Thomas for twin. So it's twin twin. Ha ha ha. He's lean and powerfully built in his 40s. Uh, his stature is from a lifetime of conditioning. He has a tattoo on his arm of a winged dagger. Scars on his knuckles and one across his abdomen that looks like a knife wound. And he was in a tux before, you know, the inflagante started. He's a bodyguard for a gentleman, Johnny Marcone, who we'll learn here a little bit later. Now, I've got information in here about Bianca, but 
I think I'll save it for when we actually meet her in the flesh, her name and all that stuff. She is a vampirist. She has power in the Never Never, owner of the Velvet Room, and often in territorial disputes with gentleman Johnny Marcone, who we'll also talk about in the next chapter, definitely. So I'll get in his name. From what they say, right now, he's handsome with unassuming features. Well, he has he does actually show up at the end of this chapter, so and he has a casual sports jacket and wearing Levi's. So he's a, you know, all-around normal dude. From what we do learn, though, is that he is a Chicago gangster. He emerged from the Vargas family disillusion. Apparently the Vargas family was a big to-do, and when it got taken down, the whole crime syndicate or in Chicago went into chaos. And he came in and pretty much wiped everything out and cleaned up everything. Police see him as a mixed blessing. Everyone who doesn't work for him, like drug dealers, muggers, bank robbers, they don't last too long in Chicago. So he made everything orderly, even though crime is still there. And pretty much guarded by all his lawyers, crime is better than anarchy. So the police sort of like him, but they know he's bad news. He drives a dark blue, or he rides in a dark blue Cadillac and has several men with him, including a dude with a limp, a buzz cut with spikes, and Hendrix, who we'll meet next episode as well. Hendrix is described as bright red hair with thick neck. He has a jutting eyebrows and a smashed in face and narrow blue eyes. But that's all we get from him right now. So what did we learn about the world in this chapter? As we go through it, we learned a lot about wizards and magic and some general stuff. Uh, one, you don't look a wizard in the face. This is like the third person who... or Murphy and Carmichael both don't look wizards in the face. They look Dresden off to the side or just quick glances at his face. They apparently kill technology, but not until it starts working. Because the CD player apparently worked until Dresden turned it on and then it went haywire. And apparently more delicate and modern the faster it dies out. The wizard's apparently ruled by the White Council, who make sure vampires don't mess with practitioners. Those vampires who do, they don't last very long. Dresden really does not like to talk about the White Council. They also have something called the Doom of Damocles hanging over his head, and it's very bad. And even researching the spell that killed Jennifer Stanton and Tommy Tom could trigger it. Now, I looked into it a little bit. If you know anything about ancient, I think it's Greek literature, Damocles was this king, and you mostly hear about the sword of Damocles. Damocles was a king. He hung out with Dionysus, the god of, you know, Bacchanalia, you know, earthly delights, that kind of thing. And he wanted to trade places with Dionysus. So Dionysus let him. But he's, as he's hanging out on the throne, he notices this giant sword above his head. But it, So even though he has all the creature comforts and everything he ever wanted and everybody's serving him, he's got this sword hanging over his head at any time could fall. It's only held by like a hair of a something. I don't remember. So that's the, the, sto- the basis of the story is you can have all the power in the world but you'll always have this danger hanging over your head that can drop at any time. So I'm guessing the Doom of Damocles is something like that. Like, Dresden has all this power, but at any time he could lose it and he dies. So that's sort of where that story comes from. Other than that, we don't get any other information on what the Doom of Damocles is or what Dresden did to earn it, outside of just being powerful. We also learn that there are seven laws of magic, but we only learn the first one here. It's the first law... You can't use magic to wreak harm against other. It's worse than murder and a perversion of life. From what we learn about magic itself and what, how wizards use it, you have to have focus and visualize what they want to do. 
and it comes from human intellect and the mind. Basically, you have to like believe in what you're doing. Magic comes from life. It's created by life, the awareness, intelligence, emotions. Again, you have to believe in the spell, and the emotions are the channel for that magic, which is why Dresden freaks out so much that someone would use magic to kill because it's it's perverse. It's it's really just because it comes from life to use it to kill would it's a perversion of that um, mystical you know life giving thing. It's hard to describe. It's magic. It is what it is. Apparently, it can be used by vampires though, because they ask you know could Bianca have done this? And you're like yeah, but this is pretty hardcore. And we learn there are different types of magic. One is evocation. That's the direct, spectacular, noisy, you know, light stuff on fire, blow things up. But it's really only line of sight. You have to see what you're looking for. And you might as well just use a gun if you're going to do that. And there's also thaumaturgy. As above, so below. And Dresden sort of described this as, like, voodoo dolls. Um, You make something happen on a small scale, you give it energy, and it can happen on a large scale. So, like the voodoo doll, you have it in a person's image, you make pokes at it, and give it a little bit of energy to those pokes, and it transfers to the bigger actual person, and they feel the pokes in a much more hardcore way. So stick it with a pin, they have a heart attack, that kind of thing. And he thinks that's what's happening here with Tommy Tom, and to have their hearts explode out of their chests, which is really gross. But you have to have a connection to the person to connect the two items together, like blood, hair, fingernails, which is why the fact that Jennifer Stanton has her hair dyed she may have gone to a place that her hair could have gotten stolen, and that could have been used here. We also learn that witches are, witches are apparently meaner than wizards, because women are easy, can hate more effectively, I guess. I don't really know how you want to work with that, as you will, if that's some type of sexist, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's more of an emotional content. I'm not smart enough to even get into that debate, so I'm just going to mention it as a thing that's mentioned here, especially with the whole rival of the sexes that happens earlier in this chapter. It is what it is, and it's written here. So, moving on. There's the Madison Hotel. It's not a real place. Tried to see. Based on, you know, geography of Chicago, I couldn't figure out where it would be. But it's a really kind of swanky place, but also kind of dirty looking, I guess. They do have suite rooms, which is what's happened here with two rooms like an old set from the 1930s movies in rich red gold. There's at least a CD player and champagne service. And for some reason, there's candle holders on the wall of the bedroom, which I've never seen in an actual hotel, so this must be an older place. We hear of the Never Never. It's a place where magical power, do we guess? This is the first time we've heard of it. The only thing that comes to my mind when I say Never Never is like Never Never Land from Peter Pan, J.M. Barry's books. But beyond that, it's all we know. And apparently vampires can access it and have some control there. That's all we really learn here. The Velvet Room comes up a little bit later, a high-priced escort service. I also looked up because they kept mentioning El Dorado. El Dorado was a 1967 movie starring John Wayne and Robert Mitchum and James Caan, directed by Howard Hawks. It's pretty much a remake of Rio Bravo, where Cole Thornton, a gunfighter for hire, joins forces with an old friend, Sheriff Hera, Together with an old Indian fighter and a gambler, they help a rancher and his family fight a rival rancher that is trying to steal their water. This has to be a joke, because from all the stills that I've never actually seen the movie, but all the stills I can find, nobody wears a duster. So when they say, from the set of El Dorado, they must just mean some western, because 
from what I can tell, there's no dusters worn in the, it's the same old John Wayne, you know, pants and shirt and running around with their cowboy hats on. I, I don't know. There's also a reference to Mr. Science, which, as far as I can tell, there's never really been a Mr. Science TV show that they could reference like this. Well, that's not true. There was a Mr. Science show, which was a lecture-based science television program for children developed by Tim Perkins, aired weekly in the 90s, which seems a little old for Dresden and Murphy to be referencing. I think it's actually a joke on Mr. Wizard, a show hosted by Don Herbert called Mr. Wizard's World from 1983 to 1990. It was also Watch Mr. Wizard from 51 to 65. So that's probably just a joke. You know, Mr. Wizard's World, Mr. Science, you know. I'm just skirting that. Murphy makes a joke at one point that I didn't really get. I don't understand this. It's, could you imagine a world where all the radio stations played ABBA? I just don't get it. Uh, it comes after she wishes people saw the things in the dark like they do. Like, see all the, you know, I wish all the magic, you know, people understood that there's vampires out there and that they should be careful. And Dresden says it would cut down on his crank calls. She says, well, could you imagine the world where all the radio stations played ABBA, and they both laugh. And I didn't really get it at all. Curious, If you're curious, ABBA was a Swedish rock group formed in 1972 with hits like Waterloo and Dancing Queen. And that's the only time you'll ever see me dance, sing a little bit. The music was the basis for the music Mamma Mia. If you're curious about that one, there's a, a movie out there. Uh, at one point, and this is, also comes up in the next chapter, but I'll go ahead and get it out of here now, Hendrix growls like Cujo. And Dresden thinks of him as Cujo. Cujo is the 1991-1981, sorry, horror novel by Stephen King about a St. Bernard named Cujo who becomes rabid and terrorizes a mother and son in her car. So he thinks of him as a big, scary dog. And that's all I have for Chapter 2 of The Dresden Files. Come back tomorrow and we'll talk about, or come back next week, sorry, and we'll talk about Chapter 3. Uh, remember to rate and review this on iTunes if it's up yet. It may not be. Probably not until Episode 5 comes out. Sorry. But if you're listening to this later, rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, tell your friends who like the Dresden Files and read the more Dresden Files. And we'll be back later with... Damn it, I still don't have a call out for this. I don't know. Look us up in the book. Whatever. Uh, we're part of the Band Library. That's bandlibrary.com. Also listen to our other podcasts. If you want to help support us, go to patreon.com slash bandlibrary. And that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Look up a book or something. I don't know. I don't know this yet. Bye.